Our scripture today comes from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, if you'd like to follow along with this Old Testament prophet. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, teach us to walk in your light. May we hear your word today and heed your word throughout these holidays. In Jesus' name, amen. The poet Emily Dickinson once wrote, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. I like that. Never stops at all. Here we are in December. December is not so much another month as it is another mood. We start talking about faith, hope, and love just because the calendar tells us to. We start sending greeting cards to people that we haven't seen all year. We decorate our houses with greenery, hoping that this symbol of life will make it real. We string lights around our house, hoping against hope to chase away the darkness. We do this because it's December. I want to spend these December Sundays talking about hope. And I mean real hope, spiritual hope. Helen Ninus was the United Methodist campus minister at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and the former director of the Board of Higher Education and Ministry for the entire United Methodist Church. And I found out in the last hour she was roommates with Carol Gehring, our former pastor. She's got a book called God Goes to College about living out your faith on campus. And she's also written a prayer book for college students called With Heart and Mind and Soul. And in that prayer book, she writes, Waiting with hope is an affirmation that God, not you nor I, is in charge. Now, we've said that before, but she adds, and that God is faithful and worthy of our hope. Waiting with hope is an affirmation that God is in charge and is faithful and worthy of our hope. Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking through the eyes of the very hopeful prophet Isaiah. And he writes in chapter 2, verse 2, that in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Which brings me to the first thing I'm hoping for this month. That the Lord will be exalted. Maybe it's time for us to aim for higher ground. The mountain that Isaiah mentioned is Mount Moriah. It's where Abraham learned that child sacrifice was not the way of the Lord. It's where Solomon built the temple. It's where the laws of the Lord were kept and the ways of the Lord were practiced. Let us go up to the mountain, the highest mountain of all. 
Some of you will remember Johnson Oatman's song that he wrote more than 100 years ago. It goes like this. It says, My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Higher ground. May your aim be higher ground during these holidays. In fact, I've been thinking about something for several months, and I just I hadn't had the courage to act on it. But I'm going to tell you today, decided to get the gumption to go for it. I'm ready to pull the trigger and try it. You know, we Americans, we like our short-term projects. We can do a Whole30 diet because we know there's a day 31 coming, right? And we can, we can do 40 days of fasting during Lent because we know Easter is coming. So recognizing that there will be a limit, there will be an end, there will be a boundary, I'm thinking about doing something different with my prayer life for a short time. Today's December the 1st. And I invite you to try this with me, if, uh, if you are so moved, until Christmas, okay, 25 days from now. The staff has already created something for the new year, so we'll, we'll kick that off New Year's Day. But I'm talking about just between now and Christmas. What if, what if we prayed every day that God would be glorified in our lives? Every day that God would be glorified. Now, maybe you do that already. I, I'll be honest, I don't. You know, in, in my case, that would mean instead of asking God to help me not to make a fool out of myself in worship, uh, it would mean praying that I might be a fool for Christ. Uh, and instead of praying that our services would be excellent and attractive and relevant, what if I started praying that God would simply be exalted in everything we said and everything we did? What if? I mean, I, I hope that God is exalted in our services, but that's not actually what comes from my brain to my mouth to God's ears. Those aren't the literal words. But what if, what if I left the place where doubts arise and fears dismay, like the song says, and instead aim for higher ground? What would that look like in your life? Would you pray that with me for yourself over the next 25 days? And for our church for the next 25 days, between now and Christmas, I see some people nodding their heads. We're going to covenant together. We can do that. Okay, that God would be exalted. That what we did would bring praise to God. Let's see what happens over the next 25 days if we do that together. Okay? All right, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Hope is the untiring conviction that we are not permanently locked into our predicaments. Hope stems from a confidence in God, that God is faithful. God has done it before. God will do it again. Therefore, he is worthy of our hope. There is no doubt that you are going to be very busy over the next 25 days. That is not the question. The question is, are you going to be any better at the end of these 25 days? Will you be busy with things that matter? Our problem is that we try to manufacture hope. We trim a tree, we hang some lights, we pack our schedules with things to do and people to see. We take a few trips down memory lane, but that's not actually hope. Hope is not to be found in the things that we do. Oh, they're nice things. There's nothing wrong with those things. It just isn't where we find hope. 
In fact, dare I say, dare I say, that we can even engulf ourselves in religious activities, like reading the Advent devotional or baking cookies for the cookie walk or going to the jazz nativity, singing Silent Night, doing a thousand and one things for the needy, and still, still end up feeling hopeless because we haven't encountered God. And we haven't encountered God because we haven't learned his ways and we haven't followed his path because we were never intentional about it. We just went through the motions like we sometimes do year after year after year. I'm not saying don't do those things. Oh, my gosh. I'm just saying let's be intentional about it. When we talk about waiting during Advent, I don't know that that fully encapsulates the meaning of this season. Rather, I would prefer the word anticipating. It means we're waiting with expectation. It means we're waiting with hope. God is doing a new thing. So let's rise up to the place where we might learn God's ways and walk God's paths and be open to whatever that might be. Or to put it plainly, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I'm hoping today that God will be exalted in all that we do and say over the next 25 days. Let's go up to the mountain of the Lord and learn to worship God with all of our being. Let's learn God's ways and get on board with what God is doing. Whatever that might be in our lives. So that's the first thing I learned from reading Isaiah this week is uh, to, to hope that God will be exalted. But the second thing I learned, the second thing I'm going to hope for over the next 25 days is that peace will reign during this holiday. Let's go to verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they study war anymore. My question is, where have all the prophets gone? Where are the people who talk like that? Name one person on the national scene who's articulating Isaiah's vision of peace for today. Have we become so obsessed with our own prosperity that the pains of the world simply pass us by? Who's casting the vision for the world today? Have we lost it? Perhaps we've just become realists, dismissing Isaiah's vision as nothing more than a pipe dream of naive people who lived a long, long time ago. Does this beautiful poetry have any punch left in it for today's world? But then if we are to give up on such idealistic dreams, have we given up on who we're supposed to be? Isn't this the kind of thing that makes the church different from the world? Who's casting the vision of peace on earth and goodwill toward all people today? Samuel Johnson said, where there's no hope, there can be no endeavor. It takes great hopes for there to be great people. The great prophets of history have been able to lean forward, confident in the memory of what God has already achieved in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do in order to be great people? What would it take for us to dedicate ourselves to peace? What would it take for you and I to become peacemakers today? Not someone who simply 
devoid of conflict, but a person who purposely makes peace with God and one another. Peacemakers are people of prayer. Are we praying for peace? Are we interceding to God on behalf of the needs of the world? Are are we noticing the places where there are people who are victims of injustice? What about starting with the places of conflict in our own families? Or the places where peace is yet to be found in our church or community? Now, I hear a lot of people who are angry about one side or the other in Washington, and I'm sure we're all justified in our feelings. But where can we help bring peace to the world on a local level? Right here, right now. I'm going to give you an idea. One way is to start by just shaking hands. Do you know the origin of the handshake? Do you all know that? No? Good, because if you said yes, I don't know what I'd do with the rest of my sermon. Um, But it was first done back in the Middle Ages among knights to signal to one another that they're not reaching for their sword. Instead, they're coming in peace. And and the shake actually came about to prove to one another that they're not hiding a knife or another weapon up their sleeve. To extend your hand to your neighbor means, I want to be at peace with you. One of the greatest stories of extending a hand in peace took place during World War I. Some of you are probably familiar with the famous Christmas truce of 1914. The divide between the British and German forces was known as no man's land, that sliver of space between the opposing trenches. In no man's land, no person wanted to venture because if you did, enemy fire would soon ensue and your life would be at great risk. Yet this is exactly where the Christmas truce took place. At the first light of dawn on Christmas Day, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches and approached the Allied lines, shouting out, Merry Christmas in English. At first, the Allied soldiers feared this was a trick, but seeing that the Germans were unarmed, they climbed out of their trenches and shook hands with the enemy soldiers. The men then exchanged presents of cigarettes and plum pudding, and they sang Christmas carols together. Some Germans set up Christmas trees on their side of the trench, and there is a documented case of soldiers from opposing sides playing soccer against each other instead of trying to shoot one another. German Lieutenant Kurt Zemisch recalled how marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it all was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends. For a time. While I love that story of the Christmas truce, I think it brings both a hope and a challenge with it. The hope is that even in the muddy trenches of a raging battle, peace can bloom. If mortal enemies can find a moment of peace, then we could probably find peace with our brother-in-law or our boss or that angry neighbor down the street. The challenge, I think, will be figuring out how to string together such moments of peace, because after all, the Christmas truce only lasted a day. And for me, that's the ultimate tale of the Christmas truce. It's about creating these moments of peace centered on the values of the season. It's about determining how to sustain those moments into even longer stretches of time, taking a moment and giving it momentum, if you will, and helping to build that with others. This needs to be our story. This needs to be our challenge over the next 25 days. 
We cannot afford to be pessimistic and brought down below the spirit of Christmas. We must find a way to rise up in challenging times and practice moments of peace over and over and over again, lending a hand, sharing a laugh, joining in a hug. We must rise up and call on our communities to embrace peace daily, not just during the Christmas season. We must rise up and have conversations about how to advance our society forward rather than get all bent out of shape over red and blue issues. We have a larger purpose. I think it's time to recognize this fact. Just as the soldiers from opposing sides stood up and they walked out of the trenches to extend their hands and share a moment of peace, we need to do the same. Rise up in the spirit of peace and exemplify peace even in the face of chaotic times. Do you pray for peace? Do you petition the Lord on behalf of your enemies? Do you pray for a peace that passes all understanding? Peacemakers are people of love. They're willing to lay down their swords of hatred that inflict wounds on one another. Instead, they're dedicated to the common good. They don't seek their own way. Instead, they seek the best way for everybody. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Bless those who persecute you. This is the way. This is the Christian way. When are we going to have enough sense to pursue it? Peacemakers resist the forces of evil, and they work for justice. You might recall that every time somebody joins the congregation, we ask them a series of questions. And one of them is, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world? Now, most of us say yes without giving that any thought, right? I mean, but I think it takes hard work to beat swords into farming tools. Are we willing to extend that energy? Are we willing to endure that pain, the patience, the perseverance? Cicero said, while there is life, there is hope. I like that, but I'd like to change it around and say where there is hope, there is life. Because if you have life and no hope, you're not really alive. You're just existing. But where you have hope, regardless of the nature of your life, you are truly alive. You are spiritually alive. You are able to dream dreams that people will think are impossible. They'll call you crazy. But I think God's dreams are like that. They're big dreams. I want to get on board with them. And this year, I've decided to aim for higher ground. Because it's December. I'm going to have the courage to hope. May you have a hopeful holiday this year. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.